0: Good evening. um, I guess probably I know many people here, but for those who don't know me, I'm Steve. You might have seen me sort of skulking around at this service um, a little bit. I've actually, I worked it out, I've actually been coming to this church for nearly 20 years now, which is rather frightening. But um, despite that, I'm still only best known really for being the husband of uh, Pippa. Um, who does our pastoral care and senior minister. And these days, in particular this service, also the father of Bell, who has recently joined the team here to help lead the work with refugees and with the youth at the well. Um, I uh, obviously see myself as the power and the influence behind these two dynamic women. Uh, the reality is I just try and hold on to their coattails as they seek to serve God and uh, have been doing some wonderful things for him. Let's just pray very quickly before we start. Lord, I just ask that each one of us here tonight would catch again a glimpse of the sheer enormity and abandoned love that you have for us. The way you just throw your love at us. And that that would change our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, um, who can complete the rest of this verse? Um, I feel it in my fingers. That's good. Can we do the next bit? Okay, that's enough. (laughs) Well done. I'm glad you were singing and not me. Um, Some of us Maybe old enough, if if you're my age, you remember that really as the wet, wet, wet single that stayed at number one for what seemed like an eternity in the, uh, I think, early or mid-90s. Others will probably remember it better for Bill Nye's um, rather um, attempt to murder the song, really, by turning it into a dodgy Christmas number one in the film Love Actually. But if you scroll back to the beginning of that film, you may remember it opens with scenes of people arriving at Heathrow Airport. And being met by their loved ones. And Hugh Grant, who's playing the Prime Minister, is doing the voiceover. And his conclusion, as you watch all these real people actually arriving at Heathrow, is that if you look for it, he says, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. And you know what? I have a sneaky feeling that, in many ways, Hugh is actually quite right. We live in a world that is fascinated, some could say obsessed with the idea of love, of finding love and losing love, of giving love and receiving love, of falling into love and falling out of love. We talk about it, we write about it, we sing about it, we dream about it. And it seems to me clear that, at our core, we all want to be loved, and we all want to love. It's a natural, deep-seated, and very real need in all of us. But why? Why is being loved so central in our lives? Why do we all seek it? Well, to try and answer that question, I did what all students do these days uh, when faced with a knotty problem, and turned straight to artificial intelligence, and asked ChatGPT the question, Why is being loved so important? And this is what it told me. Being loved, ChatGPT tells me, is essential to our emotional well-being, our mental health, our physical health, for bringing a sense of purpose and fulfillment to our lives. Being in love is a powerful motivator in life. It is the foundation for healthy relationships. It builds social cohesion, cooperation, and a sense of community and of society. And that being in love is a profound part of the human experience. ChatGPT then gave me a handy summary. It said, being being loved is essential for emotional, psychological, and physical well-being. It contributes to happiness, health, and a sense of purpose in life. And if it hadn't then helped me enough in my sermon, it then gave me some advice. It said, whilst it's important to be loved, it's equally important to give love and build meaningful connections with others, as healthy relationships are often reciprocal and mutually beneficial. So it's not too bad, AI, is it, after all? But I think, but of course, what... ChatGPT was talking about was the receiving and giving of human love. So how much more do all of those things apply if the love we are receiving is the perfect love that we can receive only from God? How much more important is God's love to our emotional, psychological, physical, and, of course, spiritual well-being? When we kicked off this series, I I think it was three weeks ago, I was at this service and Richard was speaking that night and uh, he took us through the first few verses of Ephesians on being chosen. And uh, if you were here, you may remember, before he started speaking, he asked us all to bow our heads and close our eyes and then asked us to raise our hands if we believed we were holy before God. We won't do it again now, don't worry, but... Richard told us, because I wasn't peeking, that only five people from the entire congregation put their hands up. Now, some of you may think that that's a surprisingly large number, given that it's a rather arrogant thing to say. But I should tell you that I was one of the five who put their hands up. And I put my hand up not because I think I'm so good, but because I know that God has poured out his grace on me has forgiven me, and that he has made me holy in his eyes. And I know that he's done this, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it in any way, but because for some utterly inexplicable reason, God really loves me. And because he loves me, and for no other reason, he's placed infinite value on me. And he chose to die for me, just to demonstrate his holiness and his love for me. And of course, that's not just for me, but for every single person in this church today. And that's why Paul addresses his letter to God's holy people. And why he sees understanding God's love for us as so important and at the very core of all that he is hoping and praying for, for this church in, uh, in Turkey. Paul has been given a mission to establish and grow the church across the Gentile world, to effectively build the core of the church that would then become the basis of the church, the blueprint of the church worldwide for centuries to come. And that's why his teaching is so important and why it forms such a large part of the Bible. And Paul believes that at the core of a strong, healthy, relational, spiritually mature church is the knowledge that it is loved by God. So Paul's prayer for the church is for each one of us to be rooted and established in love. And have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's such a beautiful and well-known prayer that sometimes the familiarity of it means we can miss just how much Paul is saying about God's love for us. Paul's prayer is that we would fully understand, fully grasp just how big, just how powerful, just how eternal, just how all-encompassing God's love for us is. That there is no end to it and that his love is not limited in any way. It's not limited in its width. God's love reaches and is for all people across the world. People of every continent, country, and culture are the objects of God's love and his salvation plan. The book of Revelation tells us that heaven will be filled with people from every nation, tribe, people group, and language. There is no one across the whole width of the earth who is not loved by God. It's not limited by length of time. God's love for us is for all eternity. God has made you and me as eternal beings and he will love us for all eternity. His love will never and can never end, no matter what we do Or where we go. And that's because his love is not limited in depth. It is deep enough to reach the most lost and the most unlovely. It's so reassuring to know that there is nothing you can do that will ever stop God loving you. Absolutely nothing. No matter how bad you are, God will still always love you. As the psalmist said, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And if God is there, then his love is also. And finally, his love is not limited in height. God's love defines his relationship with us now and forever, here on earth and for eternity in heaven. His love redeems us, restores us, and lifts us up to heaven. It is his love as well as his holiness that is revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we cannot escape it, even if we want to. For as Paul says in one of his other letters to the Romans, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle John puts it so simply and so powerfully in his first letter. He says in 1 John four sixteen, God is love. Not God does love, but God is love. Love is who God is, not just the way he behaves. Now, for full disclosure, you may be surprised to know that some theologians struggle a bit with this point And they kind of fall on the side of God does love. But I can see no reason at all why we don't take John at his word and say that God is love. And to say that in exactly the same way as we say God is holy or God is omnipotent or all-powerful. It is his character, not his activity. It It is his nature. It is part of his very essence. And if that is true, then it means that God will not and actually cannot ever act in an unloving way to anyone no matter how unlovely they may be just as God can never be anything other than holy he can never be anything other than loving and if we can truly grasp truly know in our innermost being in a way that surpasses knowledge as Paul says that God loves us and can never ever not lovers, then what an incredibly powerful change that can make to our lives. Because then, as Paul says, we will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But of course, that's much easier said than done. For many of us, we... The experience we have of love is far from perfect. Many of us will bear the scars of imperfect love, of relationships with our father or mother, with our wider family or friends, where we have been left battered and bruised, where the word love may have been used to describe feelings and actions. There are, in fact, anything but loving. Equally, most of us may have been responsible for giving love that also has been distorted or given the wrong view of what true love is. And if that has been part of our experience, we then risk bringing this distorted, broken view of love into our relationship with God. We don't want or don't feel able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is God's love because to be frank, we don't trust him. We've been hurt and let down too much by others to really trust and experience God's love. Now I'm picking feelings and experiences like that and not something that can be done just by listening to someone like me speak at the front of church. They need time and prayer. And if you feel your understanding of love may have been compromised by your experiences in life, then I'd really encourage you to find someone you trust, maybe a professional, to talk to and pray it through with. But as a starting point, may I just say that one of the most helpful things that I have come across when considering who God is is the concept that he has to be at least as good as the very best we can imagine. What do I mean by that? Well, each of us has been made by God in his image. And therefore, at our very core, we have been made to see and understand who God is. We can see and understand the best of God because we are in his image. If, for example, we think God's love is limited or that he is impatient and angry with us or perhaps that we are too insignificant for him to notice, then my suggestion is that we are putting on God the pains and imperfections of the human relationships that we have experienced. And whilst I totally understand it is hard to do, if in each of those situations we can try to imagine what the absolute best, the most amazing, the most unrealistic, the most unjustifiable kind of forgiving love would be, something better than anything we've ever experienced, from someone better than anyone we have ever met, if we could do that, then I would suggest we are getting closer to grasping the kind of love that God really has for us. Because if God is really God, then his love has to be better, stronger, deeper than we can experience from anyone around us and better than we can imagine. As Paul himself says, it has to surpass knowledge. And that means he will love us even when we can't love ourselves. That he loves us even if we believe we are unlovable. And he keeps loving us even when we don't love him back. Because God is love, his love comes with no agenda. We are if you like, loved for no purpose. In a very real way, God is not looking for anything in return for his love. Within the three persons of the Trinity, God knows and experiences more than enough love. He doesn't need anything from us. He loves us just because he loves us. Because in his eyes, you are lovely. Even I am lovely. But having said that God has no agenda in loving us, and he doesn't, there can and still is a purpose in God's love for us. Because it's unconditional, God doesn't have to, God's love doesn't have to change anything in our lives. But if it is fully received, fully grasped, as Paul says, then in fact it does change everything. Because he loves us, God wants the best for us. He delights in us. And if we can fully grasp his love, then our lives will be better. They will be, as Paul says, rooted and established in love. God's love will be the base upon which our lives are built and the nourishment which fuels our growth. Our lives will have grown out of love and grown strong from God's love and that as I say changes everything it changes our relationship with God it changes our understanding of ourselves if we go back to Richard's question from a few weeks ago we will begin to understand that God sees us holy because he chooses to because he loves us not because we deserve it but because it is driven by his love It will change our relationship with others and it will change our relationship with the world now and for eternity. And that is why it is such an important prayer for Paul. And so to finish, can I encourage each of us not to sit back and hope that we might feel God's love but to actively seek it Paul's prayer is that we would grasp it. And that's an active verb. It's not a passive one. And so can I just suggest three really simple activities that might help us grasp his love. Praying, thinking, and doing. When we pray, can I suggest we pray in two ways about God's love? Firstly, ask God to show you his love, to reveal it through those around you and the things you see. But also make sure you tell him in prayer that you love him. Even if you don't feel it, tell him that you want to feel it. And tell him that you choose to love him. Thank him for what he has done and for who he is. And if you can do this, then I'm sure you will begin to see him more clearly. And as the old song says, then love him more dearly. Thinking. Um, we're all very different, but the way I personally first began to understand just how much God loved me was when I began to really understand what Jesus had done on the cross and why he did it. I'm someone who needs to understand and not just feel. And so for me, reading John Stott's book, for example, The Cross of Christ, was where I began to understand and from there, I began to know that I am loved and that I can love back. As I say, we're all different. And I'm not suggesting everyone is as head led as I am. But either way, it is important to get that balance and know and experience God, yes, in our heart, but also in our head. As the more we know of him, the more we will see how lovely it is. And the more our experience can also be based on solid truth and not just emotion, the stronger those bonds will be when the storms of life come and the emotions are not there. Finally, doing. The Apostle John in his first letter said, we love because he first loved us. Love is a verb it is an action. And a quotation that inspired me as a teenager and led me to working in Africa for a few years was this from Art Beals. It said, Pity weeps and walks away. Compassion comes to help and stay. Real love is not a gooey feeling. It's a choice to put others before self. And if in some small way, we can start acting in love and putting others before self, then I believe the feelings will follow. And of course, the greatest example of putting others before self, indeed the greatest example of love Comes from the greatest lover of all. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God's ultimate expression of love for us is the gift and sacrifice of his Son Jesus on the cross. And our ultimate response to being loved like that is the sacrificial giving of our lives back to God. And we can only do that when we truly grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Amen.